Good morning. If you're able, please stand to show reverence to the Lord as we join in hearing his word. Our Old Testament reading today is from Isaiah 66, 10, 14. Rejoice with Jerusalem and be glad for her. All you who love her, rejoice with her in joy. All you who are mourn over her. That you may nurse and be satisfied with her consoling breast. That you may drink deeply with delight from her glorious abundance. For thus says the Lord, Behold, I will extend peace to her like a river, and the glory of the nations like an overflowing stream. And you shall nurse, you shall be carried upon her hip, and bounce upon her knees. As one whom, as one whom is mother comforts, so I will comfort you. You shall be comforted in Jerusalem. You shall see, and your heart shall rejoice. Your bones shall flourish like the grass. And the hand of the Lord shall be known to his servants, and he shall show his indignation against his enemies. Our New Testament reading is Luke 10, 17, 20. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions, and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing you shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good morning. A happy 4th of July weekend. We celebrate the freedom that God has given to our country, but we also remember in that freedom, the freedom that he has given to us from sin and death, and we celebrate his grace and salvation at the same time. Would you bow with me as we pray for the word? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your love to us, your people. We thank you, Lord, that you are constantly at work in us and through us and around us, just as we sang. Lord, you never stop working. Lord, it is because you are so great and good and sovereign that we are able to join together and worship you and sing your praises. So Lord, let us now, at this moment, as we hear your word, let us continue to worship you, God, by listening intently to the words that you have to speak to us this morning. Let us understand through the power of your spirit what you desire for us to understand and through lord your power the power of your holy spirit let us live in the way that you desire for us to live so that we may glorify you with all of our lives and we pray this in your name jesus christ amen this morning i would like to talk about joy and rejoicing and it's a theme uh, throughout our worship service today. We are rejoicing in the Lord. We're praising his name. I'd like to talk to you about rejoicing in the Lord and the mission that he has given us. You might ask, what is the mission that he has given us? The mission to live as his disciples, to be his disciples, and to go to the ends of the earth, to proclaim his gospel message, that great commission that he gave to his disciples before he ascended. That is the mission that he has given to us we who believe in him, we who love him, we who are his disciples, 
we are called to rejoice in this mission that we have been given. I want to ask you for a moment this morning, what gives you joy? What do you rejoice in? Maybe some of you guys rejoice in your children, right? You have joy in them. Maybe you rejoice in your spouse or your partner. Maybe you rejoice when you get a raise in your job or when someone recognizes something that you've done. What do you rejoice in? What brings you the most joy? Now, many would agree that we find joy and contentment in the accomplishments or in the things that we're able to accomplish, the goals that we are able to have, the success that we're able to have in our lives. Many of us would agree that we find joy in those things. But I think a lot of us would also agree that those things, that joy is temporary. It never lasts. And so we always have a new goal. We always need to accomplish something more to satisfy us and to give us more joy. We understand as Christians then that although we rejoice in accomplishing our mission in Christ, even the mission that he has given to us, we rejoice when we see fruit from that mission, from proclaiming the gospel message just as the early church did and they saw many come to Christ, that even in our success in the mission that God has given to us as disciples, that that joy even is temporary. We learn through today's New Testament passage that our true joy, our everlasting joy, comes when we rejoice in the salvation that we have received through Jesus Christ. You can say amen. <laughs> in today's New Testament passage, we encounter uh, in the life and ministry of Jesus Christ, him showing example to his disciples. So he's lived with them, He's performed miracles. He's done all these amazing things. He's he taught them many things. He's you know, preached to them. He's done all these things for the disciples. And now it's their turn to go out and do his work. And so first we see Jesus sending out his 12, the 12 disciples, to go and do the ministry, to do the work that he has been doing, to proclaim that the kingdom has come. And now in today's passage, we see that he sends out more disciples, 72 disciples to go and continue this work that he is doing to actually go and do what he has been doing to be ministers of his gospel and this is the heart of our lord that although he can do it himself and in fact if jesus does it i'm sure it's a lot easier for him and nothing ever goes wrong and certainly it would be more effective if jesus went out and he did everything but the way that our God works and the way that Jesus works in his ministry is that he has chosen us. We who are broken, we who have many sins, we who can't do his work, he has chosen us to include us in his work so that we may experience Christ, so that he may receive glory in and through us and that we may know him and love him. This is also a foretaste of the Great Commission, where before Jesus ascended into heaven, he gave that Great Commission to be his disciples and to go to the ends of the earth and proclaim the gospel message. So he's kind of getting them ready for when he would no longer be with them. It's kind of like a training ground for him. And so Jesus 
in doing this, he teaches his disciples uh, two things. There are many things that he teaches them, but we only have time for two points. (laughs) The first thing that he teaches his disciples is that all authority has been given to them. All authority has been given to them. Now, this isn't to say that all authority is given to them because they did something good or because they're greater than other people or because they have some kind of supernatural power that, you know, they didn't know about. They had this potential and now they're just tapping into it now and, you know, like a, like a um, Superman or, or Batman or, you know, they have this kind of superpower. No, he's saying that all authority has been given to them. Why? Because all authority has been given to him, Jesus. And now he... As Lord and King, he is giving all authority to his disciples to continue his work, to continue his ministry. He has given all authority to his disciples. At the beginning of Luke chapter 10, the New Testament passage we read today, chapter 10, we read that Jesus sends out these 72 disciples in pairs. And he tells them to go from town to town and he says to bring them peace and to bless them. And he says to proclaim that the kingdom of God has come near to you. That is the message that they carry from town to town. To those who reject these disciples, they would just leave. They would pronounce this judgment that the kingdom of God has come and they would leave the town. But for those who accepted and received them, this would be a pronouncement of judgment in a good way that the kingdom has come. And so that they would be included in that kingdom. But just before he sends out these disciples, he warns them. And he tells them something very important. In verse 3 of chapter 10, he says, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. What is Jesus saying? He's clearly warning them that this message that you carry, people might not like it. In fact, people might persecute you for it. In fact, people might be hostile towards you because of it. And so he warns the disciples. He says, don't look for recognition when you go to these towns. Don't look for people to be embracing you when you come into these towns. In fact, they might persecute you. They're going to be hostile towards you. I'm sending you like lambs in the midst of wolves. And so you can imagine the hearts of these disciples. They must have been nervous Right? You know, they're all pumped up because they're with Jesus and he's doing all these miracles and all they have to do is follow him. They're standing in awe and now Jesus is sending them by themselves in pairs to do his work. And he's not encouraging them. He's not like a coach, you know, trying to, you know, ramp them up and be like, you can do it, you can do it. But instead he's like, be careful because you're going out into like a a wolf pack and they're going to devour you. All right, see you later. Right? (laughs) Imagine how these disciples must have been feeling before they went out into these towns. And such is the case for us, as we have been called to be witnesses of Jesus Christ, to proclaim the gospel message in our world, in our society, in our culture. And the world is often unwilling to hear the message that we carry. Many times the world is often hostile towards us because of the message that we carry, because of the Jesus, the Christ that we serve. And yet, yet, we rejoice in the mission because all authority has been given to us by Jesus Christ. 
right? We, we boldly continue to proclaim this message, even though there's hostility, even though there's rebuke, even though people may say things against us. We boldly proclaim the message, and we even rejoice in the mission because all authority has been given to Jesus, and Jesus has given all authority to us as his people, his disciples. In verse 2, Jesus reminds the disciples and he empowers them by saying, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. You see, although we are like lambs going out in, in the midst of wolves, Jesus reminds his disciples that he is the Lord of the harvest and it's his harvest. He's not sending us out blindly he is the Lord. He knows what's going to happen. He has all control. He is sovereign. He has all authority. And he says, I'm sending you into the harvest, my harvest, and I'm giving you my authority because I am Lord of the harvest. And so we can have confidence as disciples. We can have confidence in this world, even though they despise us, even though they might be hostile towards us because of these words of Jesus. Now, though they are like lambs in the midst of wolves, Jesus tells his disciples, if, when you pray, when you trust in Jesus, that they will be safe. The mission that they have is a life-saving mission, but it's often met with rejection, hostility, and even persecution. But still, they rejoiced. They rejoiced. And we can see this clearly in the early church. When the early church, right, it expanded, it, it boomed, it blossomed at Pentecost. Where thousands and thousands of people came to faith and came to know Christ. Imagine how the apostles, imagine how the 120 disciples felt when they saw thousands and thousands of people come to Christ. Remember, just previously to Pentecost, they were, they were huddled up in their room. They were scared of being persecuted. They were scared of being arrested. But then, boom, Pentecost comes, and the Holy Spirit comes upon them. And, you know, all these miracles start to happen. And Peter preaches and proclaims a gospel message, and thousands of people come to faith in Christ. Imagine how elated that they would have been. There were just a few of them previously, but now there are thousands. But they didn't just rejoice because things went well, they also rejoiced in the persecution. We see in Acts chapter 4, where Peter and John are taken away and they're arrested for proclaiming the gospel message. And they're falsely accused and all these things, they're arrested. And when they're released, they come back to the church and the church isn't dismayed. The church isn't discouraged. But we read in the Bible that the church prays for more boldness to go back out and proclaim the gospel message. And then in chapter 5, the disciples are arrested again. And this time they're not just arrested, but they're falsely accused and they're even beaten. They're persecuted and they, they're, they're told, you better never go out and proclaim this gospel message of Jesus Christ again. They're threatened. And then they're released after they're beaten. By the end of chapter 5, we don't read that the church shrinks back or people become discouraged and scared. We read in Acts chapter 5, 41, they left the presence of the council rejoicing 
that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And though they were threatened to never go back and do this again, it says in verse 42, every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. This is the confidence that we have. This is the reason why we can rejoice in the mission. The reason is because the mission has been given to us by our Lord. And we rejoice not because many, many people, thousands of people come to the Lord or in our context today that there's a revival and everybody in Dover, the, the thousands and tens of thousands, you know, 38,000 or something, I think, that live in Dover, they all came to know the Lord and, oh, you know, it's, we rejoice and we celebrate. Jesus tells us that we rejoice in the mission not because of the success that we have, but because of the salvation that is being brought to lives, lives being saved, given eternal life. And we see this in the response that Jesus gives to his disciples when they come back to him. In Luke chapter 10, they come back to Jesus and they say, Jesus, Jesus, we had so much success. You know, you warned us, you know, you, you kind of scared us a little bit. You said we're going to be like lambs, you know, in the midst of wolves. But when we went, man, uh, so this is what Jesus says. And it doesn't say in their response. But Jesus tells them to go from town to town, proclaiming that the kingdom has come. And he says, go and heal the sick. Now, when the disciples come back, in context, they never say anything about, oh, this didn't happen or that didn't happen. Or, Jesus, why did you, you know, tell, lie to us because these things? No, in the context, we see that the disciples come because everything that Jesus had told them had happened. They had proclaimed the kingdom and they started healing in the name of Jesus. And people came to faith in Jesus. And they say, even the demons, even, even the demons... Submit to us in your name. So things happened that Jesus said didn't even tell them would happen. He said, you're going to heal the sick. You're going to proclaim the gospel. You know, people are going to come to faith. And they said, we did all these things and it happened. And even the demons submitted to us in your name. Imagine how excited, how joyful, how elated these disciples were to see Demon-possessed people, demons being cast out, people who are hurt, right? People who are sick, their illness is being cured and healed. But Jesus, he doesn't celebrate with the disciples and high-five them and say, yeah, good job, you did what I told you to do. He warns them. He warns them and he says in verse 20, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Jesus warns the disciples of putting all of their joy in the results of the mission. He says, you might have success now, but you might not have success later. Just like the early church, in the beginning they had a lot of success. Thousands that came to, to Christ. But shortly thereafter, they had persecution. Shortly thereafter, they were imprisoned. Shortly thereafter, because of someone named Saul, 
and those who wanted to persecute all the Christians, they were dispersed and scattered out of Jerusalem. Jesus, he warns us, don't put your joy in the result of the mission. Put your joy in the one who gave you that mission. Then your joy will be eternal. Jesus understands better than anyone how our hearts, our sinful hearts, can turn in just a moment. When we say, I'm doing this for Christ. When we say, oh, this is my mission, and we see success, and we praise God, and we say, oh, thank you, God, for this. And then we start boasting in ourselves, and we start to think, oh, it's because I'm good. It's because I did it. Jesus knew the hearts of these disciples that when they came back joyful and elated, that it was good. It was good. But he says, be careful. Be careful that you don't start boasting in yourself. Be careful that you don't start thinking that this authority comes from you. Because it doesn't. And this applies to us today. When we have success in our church, maybe our church grows a lot in numbers and oh my goodness, you know, And we put so much emphasis on events and things and many, many people come out. And this past week, we had a very successful VBS. We had a lot of kids come out, a lot of volunteers come out, a lot of children that heard the gospel message. But Jesus says, you can have successful VBS. You can have a successful church, a lot of people in your church. You can have successful ministries. But he says, your joy doesn't come from that. Your joy comes from Jesus. And we need to remember that our joy comes from Jesus. We must be careful not to put too much emphasis on works in our lives, too much emphasis on what we can do for the Lord. And I'm, I, I'm also in this group as well, as a pastor, to think, oh, the, the, the life of the church depends on me. So I better pray more. Or, or what, people will come back if I preach better. So I better study more and I better be a better preacher. To think that the results depend on me. And when the results are good, I praise God. But really I'm praising myself. In Table Talk magazine, there was an article on June 29, 2010, called The Greatest Joy. And inside this article, there was a line that was just so truthful. It says, success and power are not inherently evil, but we can pursue them more out of a desire to satisfy our sin than to honor Jesus. We are reminded today that God does not love us based on our work or what we can do. Nor does he desire for us to love him because of any work that he can do, to just love him because of what he can do. The greatest gift that we could ever receive is the salvation that God has given us through his son, Jesus Christ. That is the greatest gift that we can ever receive. This gift was free And it was purchased for us by the blood of Jesus Christ. So then, 
the greatest way that we can glorify God is not by giving him works back. The greatest way that we can glorify God and love God back is not to try to do something for him. But the greatest way that we can glorify God is simply to rejoice in that gift, to rejoice in that salvation that he has given to us every single day and every single moment. Whether we're in good times or bad times, God is glorified the most when we have joy in the salvation that he has given to us. I'll give you an example before we close. It's my joy to see my son grow up. And he's about to turn seven. And so he's been through a lot of stages already in life. It's my joy to see him learn. And, you know, children, they learn so fast. And they pick up things. They're like sponges. It's my joy to see him find out his gifts, what he's good at, what his abilities are. And I love to teach him new things. And I love to see his face when he learns new things. And he learns that he can do things that he didn't know how to do before. My desire for him, though, is not that he would love me because of the things that I could give him, the knowledge that I can impart to him. My desire isn't for my son to just love me because he wants to get something out of me. My desire for my son is that he would understand why I do the things I do, that he would understand that is because I I love him. And my desire, my hope, is that he would love me because I'm his dad, not because of all the things that I can do or give to him. The Lord desires us to rejoice in his salvation, not because we can get something out of it or not because there are results from it or not so that we can do something with it or work towards it. The Lord desires for us to love him because he is our God, because he is our Father, because he has saved us, and that we would rejoice in that. Paul explains in Romans 1, the greatest sin, the greatest sin that man made against God. And he says in chapter 1 that the greatest sin that man made against God was that they suppressed the truth. They knew who he was, but they suppressed the truth and they did not honor him or give thanks to him. In verse 23, we read, Instead, they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animal and creeping things. Instead, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator. So, brothers and sisters, disciples of our Lord Jesus Christ, our King, Let us rejoice when we see God fulfilling his mission through us. Let us rejoice when children come and hear the gospel. Let us rejoice when our neighbors or our community members come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Let us rejoice. However, let us rejoice greatly. And let us rejoice the most because our names have been written in heaven. Let us Heed the command of our Lord. Let us rejoice in the mission to be messengers and witnesses in the world. 
Let us strive to make our Savior known all around us in any way we can. Let us strive to build up his church, to serve in ministries, to reach out to those around us, to do the things that he has given us authority to do, to do the things that he has empowered us to do. Yet, let us always hold on to the gift of salvation above everything else. And let us live each day, every day, every moment, remembering his grace and rejoicing in his salvation. In doing so, we give our Lord Jesus the most honor. In doing this, we give him the most glory. In doing this, God is most glorified in us. And so, brothers and sisters, let us rejoice. Rejoice in our salvation. Amen. Let's pray. Father, it's such a simple word, such a simple message that we ought to rejoice because you have saved us. Yet, it's easier said than done. So often in our lives, we are not thankful. We are not joyful for the salvation that you have given us. Instead, we are busy with the things of our lives. We are busy trying to produce results. Even in ministry, Lord, so often we find ourselves busier trying to do something, trying to make something. So Lord, we pray that you would imprint this into our hearts and our minds, that we would go back to the gospel every day, that before we rejoice in all of the other blessings that you have given us, that we would come back and rejoice with all of our hearts in the salvation that you have given us through your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord. We love you, our Lord, our King. We pray this in your name, Jesus Christ. Amen.